And hey, let's take a survey real quick. Since we're talking about families and parenting, let's, let's find out real quick about what we're working with. How many of you have kids between the ages of zero and five? Raise your hand. You have kids between the ages of zero and five. Good bit. Okay. How many of you have children between the ages of six and 12? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have teenagers? How many of you have children in all three of those categories? May God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you have grace in your home. Woo! How many of have, how many, how many your, your, your kids are grown and gone? Grown, how many of your kids are grown but not gone? How, how many of those are sitting right next to you and you need to be, be gone? You gone? After today, maybe they'll be gone. I don't know. They may hate me after this message. You know, as I'm thinking about parenting and about families, one of the things that I was thinking about was all the things that people didn't tell me about parenting. How many of you got into parenting and you wish that somebody would have at least sat down with you and taught you some things about parent, of what to expect? How many of you, somebody told you what to expect, but you didn't believe them, and then you got into it and you realized they were actually really right? Any of y'all had those? So I wrote down the top four things that I wish somebody would have told me about becoming a parent. First thing is this. Leaving the house will be like an act of Congress. How many of you have ever... One child, it's like an accessory, okay? I, don't, I have no grace for you. Okay, you got two or more. It's, it's like an act of Congress. Where's your shoes? Oh, I have to wear shoes? We wear shoes everywhere we go. Why do you not think you're wearing shoes? Have you brushed your teeth? Why did you not brush your hair? What's the deal? Dad, can I wear this? Sure, just come on. Let's, let's get out of the house. How many had that this morning? Just getting out. It's an act of Congress. Something else I wish I would have been told is that the back seat of your car will look like a food bomb went off. <laughs> How many of you have children in car seats? Like a car seat. Have you ever lifted that car seat up? I mean, seriously, do you know what lives under that thing? It is, it is disgusting. Like, I don't, we don't even have... Some of the stuff that's under there, we didn't even, like, order that. I don't even know how it got in there. <laughs> like, things magically appear. There's, there's money, there's food, there's wrappers, there's, like, toys. I mean, it's just, just everything is in the backseat of, of our cars. Number three is that bedtime is like a hostage negotiation <laughs> in reverse. Just go to bed. If you'll just go to bed, I'll give you anything. Just... Just get in bed. Bed? Like they've never heard of bedtime. <laughs> like every time you go to put them, okay, guys, it's time to go to bed. Bed? Like you go to bed every night. You woke up at 6.15 this morning. You should be in bed, but no, it turns into some hostage negotiation. You got to work it out. Last one is this, and this one was really the, the biggest revelation for me was that your Netflix account will eventually only suggest kid shows. <laughs> Come look at my Netflix. So we have our setup. Joel has his own Netflix account. We have our own Netflix account. I click on Josh. Do you know how many adult movies are actually on there? None. None. It's all, all kid shows. The crazy thing is I just start watching kid shows. That's all I do now. I don't know when the last time I've seen an adult movie. It's been a while. Um, we only see adult, adult videos. But. Hey, I thought I would start off today by um, sharing a parenting fail on my end. And uh, you're going you're gonna to learn a lot of what not to do today 
through me. You're welcome. And so uh, Lindsay and I will, will publicly display uh, where we've blown in and stuff. So I thought I would show a little video today that starts off with a parenting fail. So Maestro, go ahead. Baby. You got stuck? You can't go in through that way. Josh, help me. Here, hold this. Hey, I got Josh, help okay. me. Okay, hold that. Josh, help me. Oh, baby. Okay. Oh. Oh. What happened, Mom? Yeah, lay down. Look. Juju, hey, what's the matter? Look. Hey. Are those real tears? I bet you. Oh, you want to be in there? <laughs> oh. All right. All over. Welcome. Welcome to the belt home. You remember that, Juju? You remember? Oh, you do? No. <laughs> like, I don't want to remember that. <laughs> Parenting fail number one in that video was, and we've all been there, I grabbed the camera. <laughs> Let's hold on, guys. Stay right there. I'll be right back. And that was like, that wasn't like iPhone camera. That was like, I had to go get like my real camera and bust that one out. Uh, so anyways, welcome to the Parenting Fail and the Belts home. Hey, for all truthful, I think we'd all admit that raising a godly family and godly children is hard work. Hard work. And uh, none of my children came out with instruction manuals. How many know your firstborn is like the dummy child? Not that they're dummies, but they're the test dummies for everything that you should and shouldn't have done. I didn't, did not get any instruction manual on that first one whatsoever, so just I apologize in advance. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a very fractured world, and um, we've all failed, and we've all fallen short, and, and our parenting has not always been the best. And you probably have had parents who you know all of their failures to, um, of how bad your parents were in different ways. And, and we've all, we're sinners, and, and we, we just blow it. And uh, when it comes to parenting and family, we, we blow it a lot because it's just right there in front of us all the time. Um, but in this series, we're talking about how the gospel changes the way we do things and how it changes different aspects of our lives. And um, next week, we'll talk about how it changes our marriage. But today, we're specifically talking about how the gospel changes our family. What is the, the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and the good news that he, he gave his life for, for exchange for our sin? How, how does that change the way that a parent changes it a lot? Changes it a lot. And so we're going to go through, and, and I'm a very systematic type of guy, so anytime I preach, we're going we're to go through some points, but I'm going I'm to lead you on a journey here. We're going to talk specifically about how the gospel has changed 
really Lindsay and I, Lindsay and I sat last night in, in our bed and, and I, was, I was telling her, how, how do you feel the gospel's changed us? And so she started rat, rattling off a bunch of great stuff. Um, and then I wrote down a bunch of different things. So I just, I kind of want to share from my heart today. Is that okay? I don't think I, I don't know if there's any time I don't share from my heart, but I want to, I want to just be real personal today and, and share through some of our failures and, and hopefully be an encouragement to you. And I know that in this room, there's many different types of people. There's some that are single moms in here and, and it's really hard on you. And I understand because you're fulfilling dad and mom's role. And then there's others of you that are in blended families and, and, and some of your family, some of your kids are not your kids or your husband's kids. And then some, you know, and, it, and it's, you've got that dynamic that's going on and, and failed marriages that have happened in the, in the wake of all that. Some of you are, are coming from very abusive parents and backgrounds. And, 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 and so family and parenting has just been awful for you. I, I understand that dynamic in this room. I understand that there's a lot of that that's going on. Single fathers. We have some single dads in here that are raising their children. Um, and so, and then there's others of you that have no children. And you want to just zone out on this message. But can I tell you this? Don't do that. Because you're going to need this. You're going to need this. But also, the other thing is, this isn't really just a parenting message. Because these principles and these truths that we're about to share apply to every relationship not just to parents and their children. So let me, I wanted to start off there by going there. But would you turn with me to Psalms chapter 127? <laughs> Psalms 127. And you have notes, so I know it's on there. But if you have a Bible, it'd be good to, to go there too in your Bible if you want to. But we're going to talk about the gospel-centered family knows four things. A gospel-centered family knows four things. The first is this. We all are children of God. We all are children of God. So Psalms 127, verse 3 through 5. Now this is what I'm going to do. Kids, are you, can, can, can kids see me? You hear me? Kids, I want y'all, children, kids, y'all are going to read this with me, okay? Y'all read this with me. Children are a gift from the, now look at your mom and dad and say this with me. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Okay? Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. On the stage, we had a lot of quivers full. Um, now, I don't, here's the deal. Let me just stop Rahil on the quiver. I, the Bible doesn't say where a quiver's full, okay, is, is like three, one, seven, a dugger 21, whatever. I don't know what is a full quiver. Three's my quiver. Um, I'm quivered up. And so I don't know about you with where you are, but the Bible says that is joyful the man whose quiver is full. The bigger thing I want to get to this is a couple of things. First off, children are a gift. They're a gift and they're a reward. They're not a burden. They're, they're, they're not an inconvenience. They're not a strain. Now, are those days there? Absolutely. But they are a gift and a reward. And, if and this, the first thing off the bat, I, I want you to know this, that all of us are children of God. Your children are children of God. And guess what? You are a child of God. 
And for, for, for many of us, we think that we're the adult and their child, and so we are up here and you're down here. We have high value, you have low value. That's exactly the same way that it was in biblical days. Children were, were, were like dogs until they were up to a certain age that they actually became a man or a woman, and then they had value in the society. Do you know that our same society devalues children the exact same way? Why do you think abortion is so high? The child has no value. No value whatsoever. But every child is not an accident. It is on purpose, and it is a child of God. And here's where we got to go first and foremost, and this is where it got convicting for me. How do you talk about your kids? How do you talk about them? And you hang out with your friends and you hang out with people around you. How do you talk about them? Do you talk about how much of a pain they are? How much of a burden they are? How much you just can't wait till they just go? We have to be very careful with our words. Children are a gift, they're a reward. Do you talk as though their identity is based on their performance or their failure? You're proud of them when they're doing great in school. You're not proud of them, and they're not your kids when they're not. You're proud of them when they're doing sports really well, but when they're not, you're not. How do we speak of our children? Do, do they have to earn our approval? Do they have to earn their identity from us? Do you convey that they're a burden, or if, if their purpose was simply just to even accommodate your lifestyle, as if for some reason they were born for you? Everything in our culture is trying to define our kids' identity. You're identified by your friends. You're identified by your clothes. You're identified by your car. You're identified by your athletic ability. You're identified by your intellect. Why is identity so important for our children? Let me tell you why. Because we believe that what influences you also influences your decisions. And so if you believe you're a child of God, you will act like a child of God. If you believe you're approved and affected and affirmed, you will act that way. And so all of the girls in here won't be going and searching from love for all these other men because their daddy gives them that affection and that affirmation. Are you all with me? And so their identity is so crucial, especially at a young age, that we're constantly giving them our identity. Number, number one, you know they got your identity not only because when they, they actually look like you, but also they got your name. They bear your name. They bear your image, but they're also images of God. Now, my, my, my boys are monumentally different. How many of you have more than two or three children, and your children are just completely different? First one was a certain way, and you were like, oh, yeah. Second one came along, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> and then third one came along, you're like, oh, hold on, because they're just all different, right? All our children are different. They're just uniquely designed. The Bible talks about how them, they're uniquely designed. And, and, and my boys are all monumentally different from one another. And, and I'll, I'll give you some examples. And we'll, 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 we'll share some of this. Josiah is um, not a hugger. Not a hugger at all. But he's a deep thinker. And he's insightful. And he asks questions all the time. All the time. And he... He likes to have things in a certain pattern, in a certain way, and he's, he's very inquisitive. Lindsay's homeschooling right now, and so she, he's asking questions all the time, and Lindsay's texting me like, how do I answer this one? Adam and Eve's kids, who did they marry? I don't know. I have no clue. We'll, we'll work through this one. I don't know. Who else? 
Like, how did, how did they populate with their sister? How do you want to answer that one? You go for that one, okay? All right? Just questions and questions. I love it about it. I love it. Deep thinker. But not an emotional guy. But he's solid. Judah, on the other hand, loves hugs. Loves hugs. Loves hugging his brother all the time. He's extremely sensitive. He's extremely encouraging. But Josiah thinks a lot. Judah doesn't think at all. So the question in our house all the time with Judah is, what were you thinking? And the truth is that is he wasn't. He's just one of those guys, like, I want to do it, I'm going to do it. I think about it, I'll think about it after I do it. And then we go, oh, I should have thought about that. He's the, he's, he is the life of our family in regards to entertainment. He is, Lindsay asked him um, if he wanted, what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said, it's either between a dancer or a preacher. And we said, well, why don't you be a dancing preacher? So in the coming years, we might have a dancing preacher up here. I don't know what's going on. You come over to our house. I brought him with me this morning to go study and finish preparing in the office. And he's like, Dad, can I put on some music? I'm like, yeah. He just put something and he's going to like put on some, you know, I'm like trying to worship before the Lord. He's got some rap music going on. He's over there dancing in my office. So I'm like, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for rap. Thank you for my son. Joel is completely different from both of them. He's full of life. Full of life. He's a leader. He's the boss. He's a fighter. He's very honest. Very honest. Don't ask him how you look. Don't ask him anything. How anything. I mean, he's straight up looking at you. Your breast stinks. Does it to me every morning. Every, me and Lindsay, we always get it. So how do you really feel? Tell us how you, you know, you don't have to worry about that. He just tells you exactly how he feels. I say all that to say, I love my boys, but each one of them are completely different. Each one of them bring something different to the family. Each one of your children brings something different to the family. Some are full of life. Some are thinkers. Some are emotional. Some are not emotional. Some, some are, are just crazy. Some are people persons. Some are not people persons. Some are inward. Some are outward. Some are very scholastically advanced. Some, they couldn't pass anything. But that doesn't mean our love is different from before them. That, that just means that they bring that to the table. And so the question that we have to ask within all this is as if we're gospel-centered parents, we need to ask this question. Who did God create my child to be? Who did God create my child to be? Now, this is a difficult question for us as parents to ask because we are daily tempted to believe that they were created to reflect us instead of God. See, we must remember that they've not been created for our glory, but for God's glory. They are from God, they exist by God, and they are for God. Y'all with me on that one? Your children are not for you. They were made in the image of God for God, that through their personality and through their giftings and through their passions, that you would help them constantly direct that back to the Lord. And so we parent differently. We got a same system, but we parent each one differently because they receive, they receive correction differently. They, they, they work differently with Lindsay than with me. It's, it's all different, and your children are probably exactly the same. We need to come right now and, and drive home the fact that we're all children of God. And guess what, parents? You are too. 
You know that God doesn't love you any more than your child? Doesn't love your child any more than you? You're both children of God to him. And guess what? He both treats you like children. You know God treats you like a child too? He treats us like a child. And so we have to constantly come back to remember that the gospel says that if I'm a child of God and that's a child of God, we're both children of God and we're both meant for God. We have identities in him. Second thing is this. Let's keep moving. We all need a savior. Not only are we children of God, but we all need a savior. Now, I, I, I find it always funny to me when some church members either get to come over to our house or get to go out to eat with us in lunch and something goes wrong in our family and you look at the other people and like they're excited about it. And they're excited about it because they're like, oh, thankfully, you're not a perfect family. I feel good about myself. Because <laughs> we're not. Come over to our house. You're welcome anytime. Well, you need to call in advance. Um, but you're welcome. Because as a pastor, my kids misbehave too. And while my kids are misbehaving, I don't just like, you know, start singing a hymn and they're like, oh, hallelujah, you know, then stop misbehaving. It doesn't work that way. I have to correct and discipline my children just as much as anybody else. And we, we are in a, a season right now that, that's very difficult, to be honest with you. As many of you know, our son is walking through the stuff that he's walking through and because of, the, because of what he has, we have to homeschool our children. That's, that's hard. I get a lot of texts in the middle of the day. So not only taking care of one child who's disabled, but then trying to homeschool two children and then trying to do it in the ways of the Lord, it is just hard. The other day, my wife was like, you need to get home now. And I walk in and she's like, I'm tired of this and I'm tired of this and I'm tired of that. And they're doing this and they're doing that. And I was like, everybody in the room, let's go. I got to walk into the room. And I'll get to the point in just a minute of what happened inside of that room. But it's hard. And we blow up. And we scream when we don't want to. And we yell. And we do things. And we do things out of selfish ambition. But in the same thing, we, we have to learn to repent. Because here's the thing. Parents, listen to me. We need Jesus too. And your children do too. Your children will blow it, and you'll be there to remind them. But when you blow it, who reminds you? See, because we think, because we blow it, we get to get away with it. But when our children blow it, we make sure they know. But we have a God who, who comes down and says, you're all broken, and you all need Jesus. Let me show you how this works in just a minute. Nothing in my life consistently shows me that I need God's forgiveness and grace and mercy more than trying to raise sons. And let me encourage every parent in here with this one, par- uh, one phrase. Spiritual parenting is not perfect parenting. Spiritual parenting is not perfect parenting. And I'm going to tell you why. Because here's the greatest thing, and I love this about the Bible. The Bible is God's inspired word, and it reads like a who's who of dysfunctional families. Have you read the Bible before? They are dysfunctional. Everybody is jacked up. And that is encouraging to me. Constantly encouraging to me. I'm not going to go through the entire list, but I could go through from Old Testament all the way to New Testament of just men and women that had dysfunctional parents. But I'm going to give you two right now. The prodigal son you read in Luke chapter 15, the Bible says that the father was good. 
He was a great father. But guess what? One of the sons still left, right? He actually had two prodigal sons because the one that was in the house was still ungrateful and the one that was outside the house was ungrateful. But the father was still good. How about Jesus? I mean, come on. Jesus pours his life into 12 men for three years and one of them betrays him and the other one denies him. I mean, that's Jesus there. So you're not going to be a perfect parent. Let me just go ahead and just lay that out there. You're not. You're probably well aware of that. But God doesn't call for you to be a perfect parent. That's not what he's calling for. Have you ever thought that maybe God filled the pages of Scripture with bad parenting examples to encourage us? That our our sinfulness doesn't prevent God from using us. It actually, our sinfulness is actually a platform for which God demonstrates his power and his goodness and his love to his people through broken people, broken parents, broken families. The person that your child is becoming is because of two reasons. This is also encouraging, and I hope this is encouraging to you, especially to those in here that you have wayward children. I want you to listen to me. Your child, the the end product of what your child becomes when they grow up is a byproduct of two things. Number one is a byproduct of life experiences. Just life experiences. That's a bunch of different stuff wrapped up into that. Your parenting, uh, the experiences that have happened, life crises, uh, just a lot of stuff that is formed into that. The second thing, though, is that your child is, is not only are they formed by life experiences, but the second way is how they actually respond to those life experiences. See, when a baby is born, we eventually go to, oh, this baby is just perfect and great and awesome, and it's just, it's just a perfect thing. And, and, and we grow up a lot of times with our children thinking that in some way that if we if we were to shelter them better and protect them better and give them a better education, they would turn out better. But can I tell you this? Listen, you do have your responsibility in their life experiences and do everything that you can, but they also have a response in this. Your child is also has to make their own decisions. You can create the greatest environment for your children to be a part of. Jesus did, and yet he still had one deny him. He still had one reject him. And so, listen, I don't want us to take all the ownership for for our parenting. Listen, you have part, but your children have a part too. And so often we want to take their part off of them like it's not their fault. Like, and this is when I sit down and counsel people. They're like, well, if they didn't have these friends, and if they didn't have these things, and if they didn't have this, as if the reason your child was disobeying was only because of those influences and not because of sin that was in their own heart. We we let our kids off the hook by, by... by not letting them know that there's sin that's in their own heart that's causing them to do what they do. It's not all outside influences. Now, do we protect them? Absolutely. Do we get them away from negative influences? Absolutely. Do we shelter them as best as we can? Absolutely. Do we provide the best education we can? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, they also have to make their own decisions to follow Jesus. Are y'all with me today? And everybody that's in here that has a wayward son or daughter, you're, you're nodding your head in this part. Because you have felt the condemnation and the guilt that what your child has become is because of you. And maybe you played a part in it. Because we've all failed and done stuff that we wish we wouldn't have done. But can I also tell you this? They had their own decisions to make too. Because we read all throughout the Bible of bad parents who ended up having godly kids. And the parents were ultimately wicked. Go read all of the Old Testament. Wicked king, wicked king, wicked king. A king that loved Jesus. 
Well, how did that happen? It was all wicked because they make their own decisions. Every child in here is going to make their own decisions. They're going to come to that place. And our job as parents is to create an environment for them to do that. So your children are responsible for the way that they respond to your parenting. But we all need Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go into my boys' room and model forgiveness and repentance. Lindsay and I have sat down with our kids more times than ever and said, will you forgive us? We need Jesus too. And today was a rough day for me. And everything that was going on was just culminating. And I went off on you. And that wasn't right. And I apologize. And will you forgive me? Because the same thing that we're asking our boys to do to each other and to us, we want to model that to them. So here's the question. When is the last time you've asked your children to forgive you? Or do you expect them to always forgive you to forgive them. I know this is not the easiest message to swallow, but if we can understand it, our families will be totally changed. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Number three, we all need to fight for the heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? How many know this? You don't have to teach your children to sin. Y'all know that, right? Like, did anybody in here have a class on, like, how to disobey your parents? Like, this is how you do it, okay? Now listen. Like, you didn't have to do that, right? They just grew up and just started, boom! I want it, you're down, I got it back, all right? This whole hoarding concept of, like, mine, mine, mine. Did you have to teach that? No. You know why? Because their heart is deceitfully wicked, and it's sinful, and where it's broken, and when it's not directed towards God, we ultimately do that. And so for our children, I didn't have to, listen, I've never punched my wife, ever. Now, there's times she's probably wanted to punch me, but I've never punched her, yet our boys punch each other. So where do they learn that from? Because they don't, I'm not doing that. They're not watching me model that. Why? Because inside of them, there's a selfish thing that I want it, I'm going to get it, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. Any of y'all have children like that? You don't teach them because they're they're self-centered and self-indulgent and little people, and they have sin-filled hearts that if it's not directed towards Jesus and submitted to Jesus, it's going to go to those things. Proverbs 22 verse 15 says this. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of the child. Notice where folly is. Where is it at? Where is it at? Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, let me say this real quick. Behavior is a byproduct of something that's wrong in the heart. And too often we want to deal with the fruit, and we don't want to deal with the root. We want to deal with them hitting each other, but we don't get to the actual reason of why. Y'all with me this morning? There's something that's broken in them. Listen, it doesn't say wisdom is born up in the heart of a child, does it? What's born up in the heart of a child? Folly. Folly is born up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from them. So instead of blame shifting, let's give them the chance to be humble about their sin in order that they can be amazed by their Savior. See, parents get so sidetracked. Listen, oh God, I do this way too much. I get so sidetracked with behavior. And I need to constantly be reminding myself and my kids, that God works from the inside out, not from the outside in. He works from the inside out. 
Most parents are skilled, more skilled at fighting to win the argument than they are at winning the heart. We want to win the argument. Why? I said so. That's why. Okay? And at times, that needs to be said. Dad said it. You need to trust me. Go do it. But if that's our discipline and parenting all the time, we're not winning the heart. We're just putting fear into our children to obey us based out of fear. Do you, y'all, are y'all with me on this one? Do you understand how this works? I grew up in a home where my dad was the authoritarian man in our home, and if you didn't listen to what he had to say, he beat you. And so my motivation to obey him was not based out of I love my father and I want to obey him. My motivation to obey my father was because I don't want to get beat. So let me ask you which one is the most loving environment, wanting to do something out of fear or wanting to do something out of love? And how many, and I'm speaking to every daddy in this room, how many of us want to bow up on our children and force them to obey our rules because we're just stronger than them and we'll do something to them than for us to have to spend the time to go after their heart? Because here's the deal. Going after their heart is a lot harder. Spanking is easy. And I'm not saying we don't spank. We do in our home. We spank. But spanking doesn't change a heart. Jesus does. You need to write that one down. (laughs) Spanking doesn't change the heart. Jesus does. So spanking, there will be repercussions for your sins. And spanking may be a part of that. But we're going to sit down and we're going to have a conversation about what's going on in your heart that's causing this. Now let let me show you how this plays out in our home. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll be honest with where I've blown it and where I feel like we're getting better in it. So the day when I get home and my wife is like, I'm tired of them fighting. I'm tired of them whining. I'm tired of them constantly doing things with each other. They're always hurting each other. They're extremely selfish. And all this is going on. I'm like, everybody in the room. So I go into the room and I grab all of them in the room and I say, you two, y'all get out. I'm going to do one-on-one here. So I sit down with Saya and I go, what's going on? And then all of a sudden it's, because why? We get a spanking. So now, now, now my heart's broken because I see the repercussions of it. So I sit down with him and go, what's going on? He won't let me do this. He won't let me do this. He's being mean. And so I hit him. Okay? All right? So you hit him because he wouldn't let you do this. Right. And he was being mean. Okay, so let's, let's, let's just let's pull back and let's break this down. He was mean, and you responded by being mean. So his meanness was wrong. Your meanness was right. Right? Well, um, you know, you see, when you say it like that, you know, I mean, so what you're saying is if somebody's mean to me, then I have full right to be mean to somebody else, right? So if somebody is, is, is lighting me on fire, I can just pour gasoline on it instead of pouring water on it. I'll pour gasoline on it and make it bigger. And so now I punch him, and guess what he does? You're mean back to me. So guess what? I'm going, and so you're just going to keep throwing jabs because everybody's mean. But let's get to the, to the real issue here. Why, is, why are you concerned about all this? Well, I'm not getting this. So you're telling me that you're willing to hit him to get what you want? Is that what we're talking about here? You can, you can hit him to get what you want. So what you're doing, what you're saying to me in all of this is that if my happiness matters the most. 
and I can do whatever I want for my happiness. Now we just got to the issue. You're selfish. Judah, come in here. What's going on? Oh, he, was, he won't let me do anything. Okay, stop crying. Let's, let's just talk. So we go through this whole thing. I wanted the iPad, and he wouldn't let me get the iPad. He's playing the iPad all day. Okay, first off, iPad's going away. Okay, let's get... Now, secondly, let's talk about this. So you're being selfish, too. And so we just work through this. What do you start... And the way you do that, parents, is just by asking questions. You just start asking questions. Now, can I tell you this? That whole discipline time took like 45 minutes. The last thing I wanted to do when I came home was to sit in a room for 45 minutes and walk through all this. I just wanted to get in there, everybody gets beat, and you straighten up. <laughs> right? That's, that's what we really want. But here's the problem. We stop them short. When we spank, what we're saying is, I just want you to be a good kid and you're good with me. But the problem is, there's still deep sin in their heart that has never been addressed. So maybe they'll follow the rules under your lead, but when they leave the house, guess what? That's still there. And guess what? It just crops right back up because mom and dad aren't there to drive it out. Are you, are you with me here? We want to address the heart now because we want them to be children that are loving and giving and selfless now because as they grow older, that's going to help them as they grow older. Y'all with me here? Because guess what? The world's going to be mean. And if the way we deal with mean is mean back, it's going to be a hard life for you. But we want to teach love and grace. And we want to teach that, listen, that daddy, daddy says things. And so a lot, of the, a lot of these times are me sitting down with the boys and going, daddy deals with that too. You know, when mom yells at me, you know what I want to do? I want to yell right back at her. And you know what happens a lot? Daddy yells right, right back at her. And you know what? Daddy needs Jesus too. And you know what I have to do? I usually have to go back to mom and say, I apologize for what I did. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And just like I'm telling you, you need to do this with your brothers and y'all need to hug it out and love and pray for each other, daddy's got to do that too. So I'm not coming in here acting like I got it all together and I never sin. I'm, I'm letting my boys know, listen, I, I, I can struggle with that. I see how you struggle with that. We're going to work through that. But it's fighting for the heart because the heart is where folly is bound up. And it's less about rules and it's more about relationship. If you, if you were raised in a rules-driven home, you know what that's like. You know exactly what that's like. Psalms 119, verse 11. We're going to wrap this up. It says, I have stored up your word in my what? In my heart. Guess where God's word needs to be stored? Not in children's heads, but in their heart. Not in their heads, but in their heart. And the way it gets stored up in their heart is you have to teach them how to live it out. The word becomes in our heart when we take something from in our head and we flesh it out in our life in the way that we work it out. So we'll take a scripture and say, it says to, to love one another. And we say, the way we take it from being just something, yeah, I know I should love my brothers, to, hey, what's something we can do this week to love each other? Let's start working that out. And guess what? The scripture goes from head to heart. And the Bible says this, when you store the word of God in your heart, look what happens. Look at the repercussions of what happens. That I might not sin against you. Our message to our children should not be, you need to stop lying. Because the truth is, they can't. It should instead be, listen, apart from the Holy Spirit and Jesus changing your heart, you're going to lie for the rest of your life. 
And you need Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help give you a new heart and a new way to do this thing. So it's not a list of rules and you need to stop this and do this and do that. And yet again, understand, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting broad here and we can get into specifics down the road and if you want to meet with me, we can talk specifics out for different children. But a broad blanket here is that we've got to come to a place where we keep reminding our kids of their need for Jesus. And we have to recite the gospel over and over again to our children and to ourselves. That children are daily learning how to deal with their sin, how to bring it to the Lord, and then how to be reconciled. Deal with their sin, bring it to the Lord, and get reconciled. And we forget about it. It's done. It's in the past. We don't bring it back up. That's what Jesus does with your sin. He doesn't bring it back up. It's forgiven. It's new. New day. New start. So we want to fight for the heart. Last but not least, is we are all worshipers. We're all worshipers. So we're all children of God. We all need a Savior. We all need to fight for the heart. And last but not least, we're all worshipers. As a parent, I can sometimes measure the success of my kids with the wrong measuring stick. The measuring stick that we use is the same measuring stick that the culture uses. Get good grades, obey, have a good attitude, have the right friends, stay away from bad things, do good in school, get in a good college, get a good job. And these are all important. But can I say this? And everybody listen to me. They're all important, but they're not the most important. It doesn't matter what our kids know if they don't know what really matters. Now let me show you what really matters. This is the last verse and we're wrapping it up. Psalms 145. Psalms 145. And then when we will end it. Actually, we can go ahead and come on up. Psalms 145, starting in verse 1. Look at this. It says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Now watch this. Here's, here's our job as parents. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The day I did the room thing, this was our scripture at the end. Guys, we're going to memorize the scripture together. The Lord is merciful and he's compassionate. He's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Let me end with this. You've got children who are hardwired for worship. They're looking for something to dazzle them. That's why my boys continually play Clash of Clans all the time because they want something to dazzle them. Dad, look at this. Dad, watch this. Dad, this. Dad, that. We're in the Ninja Turtle phase. Dad, it's so awesome. Dad, look at this. And those are all cool and good. But if my boys are not being trained by me to also view God that way, God is awesome and he's good and he's faithful and he's glorious. That we're, we're saying these things with our own lives. The question is not, will our children worship? The question is, who will they worship? 
Will they worship culture? Will they worship their iPhones? Will they worship their friends? Will they worship a certain status? One of the most important callings that we have as God's people and as parents is to display the glory and the wonder and the beauty that they were made to worship. You are raising worshipers. You are a worshiper. And your task is to help them see that God is the only object worthy of worship. He's the only thing. But here's the final challenge. You can't give away what you don't possess. So every parent in here, there's no way you can talk about Jesus and give Jesus to your kids if you don't have Jesus. There's no way you can tell your kids that they need to repent and that they need to be reconciled to God if you're not reconciled to God. God always starts with the husband and then the, and then the marriage and then the children. It always flows that way. Why do you think our culture is trying to destroy, destroy marriages? Because it can destroy marriages, he can destroy families. And we're going to make a commitment here at Our Savior's Church to reach families and build families and help men. That's why we do the herd, to help men in here be men of God so you can shepherd your wives well, so you can shepherd your children well. We're going to hold all of our men here to a higher standard. God's called you with a great weight to lead your family. But understand that you're going to fail and you're going to, uh, my prayer is that you press into his mercy and his grace and his love and that when you leave here today, you're not going, man, I just hope I can be a better parent. No, if you leave here thinking that, you've got the wrong message. I hope you leave here today going, may I be aware of how much God is affectionately in love with me, how much grace he's given me because I am a child of God, and how much responsibility I have to pass that same grace and mercy onto my children. I hope that's what you leave with. Not that you need to be a better parent, not that you need to try harder, not that you need to do things, but that you realize how much God loves you that you're not under wrath, you're under mercy, and that God loves you, and that God gave you your kids for a reason, because he trusts you. He trusts you, that you can do what he's called you to do. So with that being said, would, can we bow our heads in this place? And I want to pray over you as a family. I wanna, if, if you have your child by you, would you just grab their hand? And, and we want to pray over your children. We want to pray over you. Let's just do this right now. Parents, would you just, right there where you are, would you just pray for your kids? Like where they can actually hear it? Maybe this is the first time you've even prayed for your children. But would you just ask God that, that, he, would, that he would use you, that he would bless them, that God would speak to them, that, that God would be made known to them? Maybe for some of you, you need to grab your children's hand and just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry sorry for some of the things I've done. Maybe it was even stuff that happened this week and you, you never apologized. And you just right now, you just need to tell your children, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Father, we just pray right now, God, I, I lift up every, every child in this room. God, I thank you that they're a gift from the Lord. And God, we thank you, Lord, that they are blessing and they are a reward from you. We don't take this responsibility lightly. God, they're, they're, they're not just things that are on the side that you just gave to us just for our own pleasure. God, they're, they're, they are arrows in our hands that are meant to be propelled to you, given back to you. And so we, just, we declare today, God, that all of our children are yours. They're yours. And you're the only perfect parent. 
but God, that you have entrusted us to, to shepherd them well. And so, God, I pray right now that you would, you would bless them and be with them. Be with them in school. Use them. Thank you for them. God, I pray right now for parents in this place. God, those who have been struggling, struggling and hurting and the weight of parenting and, 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 and jobs and, and responsibilities has just been a toil for them. I pray that the words of Jesus would be comfort to them. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus, we thank you for the rest that we find in you. That you haven't called us to be perfect parents, but you've called us to be parents who are submitted to you. That put Christ in the center of our home. And if we haven't done that, God, we repent. We repent today. And God, we ask by your grace, would you help us to be the parents that you've called us to be? May we surround ourselves with men and women who can encourage us and challenge us in this. And God, we pray, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace that's in our lives. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, I pray, Lord, that this week for these families would be one of the greatest weeks they've ever had. God, as they intentionally pursue the hearts of their children. God, as they love you. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that you are God. And we love you. We thank you for your grace that's on this house. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Can we give the Lord praise for you?